0: Good morning. Welcome to True Alignment. I'm Edgar Papke.
1: And I'm Ken Sagendorf. We're live this morning in the Gronowski Innovation Incubator in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. It's a beautiful Monday.
0: It is. It's gorgeous. Yeah, and the mountains looking really gorgeous this morning.
1: First uh, snow up there this morning.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the peaks there. Uh, as a matter of fact, just this past weekend, I was thinking uh, as I as I was looking out at them, um, I... I'm trying to recollect when it when it um, stopped. Was it this year, last year, that we don't have white peaks uh, twelve months a year? Yeah, uh, twenty thirty years ago, that was
1: the case. Where's the climate change deniers now, Edgar?
0: Probably where we'd find them this morning, <laughs> wherever they are. Huh?
1: <laughs> it's different, right? Good question. You know, my first, uh, my first couple visits to uh, Colorado, my brother and sister-in-law had lived here, and we vacationed here every fall, and they said to us, let's go see the colors. Uh, and, and, you know, I've been here in Colorado long enough the fire now. fire of
0: the aspens that glow against the shadows of the pines. Yes,
1: indeed, indeed. Right? I mean, and we were in the springs. We had, you know, the, the heart of Purple Mountain's Majesty off of uh, America's Mountain Pikes Peak. But, um, you know, I'm from the northeast, so literally, I remember going up to Rocky Mountain National Park, and my brother and sister in law are like, "There's the colors." I was like, "There's two
0: green and yellow."
1: That that part of yellow over there, yeah. like those aren't colors. Yeah, but now I've lived here long enough where I get it. I get it because yeah. it's different.
0: It is, and when the, and the, I really like it when the either the morning or the late afternoon sun. Um, hits up against that, uh, and it just glows. It glows against the deeper colors of the pines behind them, and it's just it is it it is quite gorgeous to see. That it does look like flames going up the side of the mountains.
1: It does, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, last week we we didn't uh, record an episode because our guest um, needed to cancel, mm-hmm. uh, and this is uh, this is a challenge for us as as we have business leaders and and authors. Uh, oftentimes, business leaders have things come up. So, we we were supposed to have a former McDonald's Corporation executive and now uh, interim president of Regis University, Miss Cody Teets, on as our guest. Mm -hmm. Um, But she had to be in a budget meeting because it's business. It is. So, as we talk about business, Edgar, how's that for a segue?
0: Um,
1: (laughs) We just went from aspen trees.
0: I scored, yeah. To business. Yeah, it's very good.
1: Yeah, thanks. I was working on that all weekend, actually.
0: Were you really? <laughs> what? Which no, part? I was the watching the Yankee the game so it. I can see Aaron Judge <laughs> hit
1: home run number 61. Which he didn't, right? He didn't. And it got rained out last night just as he was coming to bat. Right? In the, in the seventh inning, he was the next one up.
0: I see. This, and then there's that uh, movie with Robert Redford, movie reference. The Natural. The Natural, where he gets up and isn't it like lightning and it starts raining as he's running? Or it looks like rain? Yeah, the, They're about to, uh, yep. yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, that's the heavens above are literally opening up. Him that home run, yeah,
0: didn't happen last night.
1: Take down the man. I mean, that's what that movie was about, right? He yeah. was the natural. They tried to upend his career. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, it. I mean, there. How about that for a, a swing around the corner? No pun intended. There is that. You know, here you have uh, you have Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees tied with the great Babe Ruth. And part of that movie, The Natural, is him um, throwing a strike past Babe Ruth early on in that movie, and that's why he ends up getting shot, because he was so good. The The, the man was uh, interested in upending his career because it threw off the balance.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's good. We got the movie reference out. Now, now I don't have to think about it any anymore for the rest. Mm-hmm. Awesome.
0: Yeah, and it does actually say a lot, too, about in a way we're going to be talking about culture because yeah. I think that's where you were going was, well, the episode before the one that got canceled uh, was we started looking at the basics of alignment and thinking about culture. And that's a really interesting aspect of it because within the culture and the context of an organization, you see people, I mean, if you look at what is the definition of success within the context you're in, the organization, the team, the environment that you're in, Right what's the definition of success and then how do people achieve that success? And from that, then you look at it through the lens of beyond anything else really at the end of the day, because it's human. We talk about morals and ethics and belief systems and you come to the place of saying what's acceptable, unacceptable behavior, by what means do I achieve success? And then for leaders, it is how they achieve success is the role modeling, and the natural reinforcement of those behaviors, those values, those beliefs, and um, how people perceive how to go about getting success by whatever definition.
1: Yeah. So, you know, Edgar, we talked uh, in the last episode, we talked about, you know, coming back to the foundations and that customer experience, the CX, um, which is actually, I think it's easier for us to have a conversation about the about the customer experience because of our um tie to firo theory. Yeah. But but the the idea of culture um and how the company operates to meet its brand intention to deliver that customer experience, the idea of culture I think is more it's always more complicated. I mean one of the questions that I am puzzling about not only in my own kind of academic research, but but I puzzle and I don't want to have a conversation necessarily about change but as we were talking about that movie, The Natural, right? there was, there was something that existed mm-hmm. and we didn't want the thing that existed to be different. So we created conditions to, to maintain that status quo. Oftentimes the idea of culture, I think has a set of mixed messages. And so you talk about the leader being able to, the, uh, having the responsibility to role model kind of acceptable behaviors. And and what I'm witnessing now with, you know, organizations we work with, um, organizations I know and have insight into, what we're seeing is that many of those organizations, it's necessary for them to change. And the things that have been role modeled for the employees, for the culture, no longer are the things we need as the business changes. Yeah, and and you know one of the conversations that's going through my head constantly is what makes somebody move from being a um, in a position where they think about their personal success in an organization to thinking about the organizational success, and 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 that's where that question comes from because as the organization must change for time, um, because society has changed, because um, the way they meet their customer uh, experience has changed. Mm-hmm. There's so much. I mean, there's always resistance to change, and I, I forget what the saying is that the only thing, the only thing that you can count on is that things it, will change.
0: The only change that you can count on is change, right?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, how do we how do we have a conversation about culture because it it's it's an it's an it's it's living. It's it's organic in some sense. It is. It is uh, moving, and so. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, anybody that works in, in the space of diversity, it's, it's not something you ever complete. It is, uh, I mean, and it, eh, beware if you ever meet somebody that's working in diversity and they say, I'm going to fix this. That's not, um, they're not situated well to work in the world of diversity because that is a work in progress always. Yes, it is. Culture is similar to that.
0: It is. Yeah, cultural shift, cultural change. It's 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 part of a natural dynamic of who we are as human beings. That we we as we continue to evolve in our thinking and expand and um, create new ways to think about things to to find new ways to understand how we feel about things and what we see and how we change them. That allows us then to be able to come back to understanding that it's a constant dynamic that we're in, in cultures, in organizations, in teams, just like any relationship and how a relationship evolves, whether it's between parent and child friendships, whether it's, um, you know, partners and spouses, there is constantly going to be changes taking place. It's natural. And I think a lot of how we think about culture, I think there's two frameworks. One is that there's this, basic belief that if we're clear on what the quote-unquote values are, the core values of our organization, then that ought to do the trick, that people ought to figure that out, interpret that correctly, and respond and act correctly. Uh-uh. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So there, that, that's one piece of it that I think is really powerful.
1: You better say that one again. I, I'm sorry I don't want to interrupt you, but it is this idea that if you think the core values are static – um, you're in. You're in for a surprise. Is that yes. what I heard you say?
0: Yeah, that and and also that y- the expectation that everybody's going to interpret them and understand them the same ah, way.
1: Yeah. So the core values might remain the same, but the interpretation of how they're enacted might be different amongst the people in your organization.
0: Yeah, yeah it can evolve, and uh, and I think that's important to recognize. And if you want to keep, uh, you know, somebody said to me, "Well, culture is full of rituals, and rituals are intended to, you know, be." constant and, and keep things the way they are. And I said, actually, I think rituals are our way of understanding that change is going to move us forward and rituals are the way in which we move forward because the context of the timeline that we're in is, is going to be constantly moving forward. And I think that's important to recognize. Rituals allow us to use change in a way that, that makes it current and looks into the future. So I think that's important about to understand about culture too because a lot of it is well we have our basic tenets our values and our rituals and the artifacts and, mm-hmm. and interpretation of artifacts is interesting because you can have a picture on a wall and the next generation comes in looks at the picture and says that has no value to me what's that about well yeah well let me tell you the value well that's your value that's not what I see so there's so much to to be thought to be thinking about here and there's, um, I think, some basics we can come back to. And the first one is, as you and I like to, like to tell and remind people, that uh, culture in and of itself, um, if you're not doing it, it's going to do you. From a leadership, from a business perspective, and that uh, culture is strategic. It doesn't eat strategy for lunch. It is a strategy. And with everything that we now know about how people interact with one another, and that the basic tenets and elements or characteristics of what makes up a team or an organizational culture, we have a lot to work with here that allows it to be strategic. Now, with that in mind, I think basic principles remain the same. And you, you, you mentioned FIRO theory. So if you were to look at FIRO theory as the core that's not going to change in terms of a human behavior, human interaction, our interpretations, may we may learn more about them. But for the most part, we're feeling pretty secure. We can look at it through the lens of if you put that at the core of your thinking about the customer experience, you can – and this is what we do. We apply it to the core of thinking about cultures. In other words, cultures have three key elements, and they're also the elements of of our collective imagination, which is participation. How do we participate with one another? second one is how how do we how are we competent and how do we how do we gain success how do we achieve success and the third one is uh, about uh, openness and um, acceptance of one another and you know whether diversity is about inclusion or diversity is about acceptance we we're, we're, we're really talking about human nature and so at the core of culture is human nature that's the core and then from there we can build much like we build ideas and and uh, we innovate customer experiences. We do the same thing as we innovate cultures. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you right now, we're in a period of organizational culture innovation that's accelerated beyond anything else we've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, the conditions are all here for us to be really learning and thinking a lot more. And the conversation right now about you know the great alignment or the quiet quitting, the great resignation, all of it is about organizational culture. That's what it's all about. And so having a much more strategic approach to this than just, oh, you know, let's live the values or let's attract people with like values. How those values actually come to life through human experience is something that we need to understand that we can do very strategically. And it doesn't happen by happenstance. Um, Leadership influence, power influence, all the other aspects of culture need to be really understood and interpreted and needs to be understood that a key role of leadership throughout an organization top to bottom is to be able to act in alignment to that, to that culture and to look at it through the lens of what are the different strategies we engage in organizationally and business wise that are aligned, that makes sense to what we're trying to achieve.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's such an interesting conversation, Edgar, and I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, you know, the one thing that comes uh, rushing to my mind and there is a, there is a. A second movie reference i'll bring in here um you know we hosted the class of 1972 here at regis for their 50th reunion we had a little reception for them friday night here in the incubator and um the the most famous quote unquote person from that class is bill murray yes um he was here at regis for for a little bit knocking golf balls off the roof knocking golf balls (laughs) off the roof of carroll hall um Uh And I thought maybe we'd see him. I got to golf with him at the 45th reunion, but I did, didn't get to see him on, on Friday. So, um, But but Groundhog Day, uh-huh. right, I think is a wonderful way to think about about culture, right? I mean, that waking every day to do the same thing and how long it takes him to realize that the things he needed to do for the outcomes he wanted had changed. Um, you know, and he tried over and over and over mm-hmm. to make it work, Um through force. And he kinda of had to give in. His character kind of had to give in and do something different. And and I think this is how many I think this is how many employees experience culture potentially. The the thing the thought that came rushing to my mind was this idea of the difference between management and leadership. Mm-hmm. Because I think so often we leave culture as a management issue when in reality it's so deeply a leadership issue it's not managing everybody's different personalities it's figuring out figuring out that culture that you're going after and 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 you know I don't this is what I want in my dream world i mean you know i want it to be simpler i want it to be simpler i want the idea of of, of culture to be a simple conversation. It will never be a simple conversation. It is really a complex, uh, constantly moving, um, living thing your culture is. It is. So, you know, I, I think my desire, um, I mean, almost my childlike desire for it to be simple is, hey, you know, we're going after something different in our customer experience. So working backwards through the organization, what needs to be different? um, the way we interact might need to be different. Um, you know, for us in, in education space, you know, I kind of had a little bit of an epiphany this week as I was working. I mean, these last two weeks, I've been working on my tenure application and something else. And, you know, so I've been um, really going back and retroactively looking at my work and, and, in in what I stand for. And, you know, I think education has really lost its way over, over time about what it's about. When in reality, I think we've made promises that we can no longer keep. Um, Once upon a time, you came to institutions because we held the knowledge. Now everybody holds the knowledge. Um, So it's no longer what we do. But I'm not sure that we have changed culturally to understand what that means in in a different world. And, you know, sometimes an organization has, um, it's run out of runway for success, it, there's no longer customers that are buying what it's selling, so they change slightly. They might even change the customer experience or, or recommit, right? We work with an organization that we saw commit, and they were really questioning that, and it took them a long time to figure out that they were committing to a certain customer experience, and now they're really trying to figure out what that means for their culture, especially as they onboard new folks. Um, people's roles change. Uh I mean we're it's really kind of an interesting study
0: it is um so a couple of thoughts i'm I'm having as i'm listening to you. The first one is about your comments about education and um and we've talked about this when you take a look at how we as human beings um use information and knowledge uh because you you have data you have data points, and then you you convert that into information somehow you organize it and you're nodding at me. And, And yes, and uh, then there's, and that then becomes knowledge, a way of uh, understanding, interpreting, and using the information in a way that uh, is beneficial, right, in some way. And I think that's been the role of higher ed education as a whole. And now we've been able to, the information is out there abundantly. It's been categorized. It's been uh, structured um, and organized in a way that, We see it as knowledge. And so the next step is wisdom. Then I go back to Socrates. Wisdom is understanding what I don't know. There it is. And so higher ed with all its um, both complexities as well as the simple idea of what's going to serve you best as the customers, the student experience, is really about how do I engage you in curiosity, in in innovative thinking, how do I engage you, in, in wisdom and in, in, in understanding that um, wisdom isn't what about what we know, it's about how we use or get curious about what's available to us in terms of knowledge. It's what I don't know. And to me, that's the big gift.
1: Yeah. So in the workplace, you know, I agree. I, I mean, I think that the um, I think the frontier for education is to realize that they are a partner in that journey. And, and you know, the search for wisdom is different than the search for knowledge. Yes. Um there's characteristics.
0: And the search for knowledge is now uh, just so available to us, literally fingertips on yeah. our on our you know screens. Or thumb tips,
1: yep.
0: Or thumb tips. Thumbs or fingers, no?
1: I don't
0: know. <laughs> I'll ask my cat. Yeah. <laughs> so the, and then and then the way I your comment though, and I was thinking to myself your comments about culture and how they evolve and how they will change as we shift in the customer experience. So then we come back to the true alignment framework and we say, okay, FIRO tells us an an understanding of what a customer's satisfaction is from the emotional as well as the thinking side, the intellectualizing of the -hmm. definition of success as a customer. And so if we have that to work with and we know we're going to innovate and create changes in that as we keep moving it forward and making it better, 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 that means we have to keep our culture moving forward and making it better, better, better. And then your comment about leadership and you tie them, you, you start seeing the threads. So what motivates the customer needs to be a, a motivator and the key motivator within our cultural context. And then that needs to be role modeled, reinforced, and there needs to be that connection of leadership to that, that leadership, that influence on the system. And one of the thoughts that I had is it's much like an individual. We're all trying to grow and evolve that that self aware to to gain self awareness awareness and then create changes in ourselves to be more successful to be more fulfilled and the same thing I would suggest you happens in cultures that cultures also uh, are looking to very naturally because they're made up of groups of human beings are looking to evolve in a way of increased self awareness and this has so much to do with how leaders come at this to increase the self knowledge. And self-awareness within the culture context to understand what that evolution looks like, and then you, th- the thinking part of it is changing the experience. Because in culture, what we when we evolve and we, and we uh, shift a culture in a constructive, positive way, what we're doing is we're changing the experience of the people in it. And once the experience changes, then the emotional response occurs. And once that emotional response occurs, that's when people start thinking differently and they start seeing themselves differently and behaving differently. So we all want to grow as human beings, increase yep. our awareness and evolve and grow, look at a culture through that same lens. And yes, that sounds simple. The art of complexity lies in simplicity. And then you look at it as a complex system and say, what are the different moving parts? And strategically, how can we come at this? To, to create those alignments.
1: Yeah, I, you know I think in my experience, so many people in organizations and leadership positions are given so many different roles that this one slips. It slips down the list, and I think there is a, um, I think there's a an interdependency that people want. I mean, you want some some reliance. You <laughs> you want some uh, you want some interdependency. You want some reliance on others to help you do this, uh-huh. right? I mean, this is not a this is not a solo journey to self-awareness. It's a collective journey.
0: Yeah. You bring it into the collective context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hence the ideas of collective imagination. The the whole idea of the collective is the culture. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's another way of coming at this is to create that kind of a shift to to not just lean into the idea that it's, it's a culture. It's the collective that we're talking about, which is really one and the same yet, just a different way of thinking about it. Psychologically, it, it may have a different reference to it.
1: Yeah. Uh, You know, Edgar, I was having a a thought earlier as you were talking. um, We've spent time over, you and I have spent time, I don't know if we've done it on the podcast about the third element, but this idea that, you know, time is a construct that we run up against. And so, um, you know, in terms of culture, in terms of culture, the idea that that collective, Mm -hmm. that intertwined fabric um you know you mentioned the the quiet quitting i mean this is really an interesting thing to watch in the in the business publication right because we yeah. did the great resignation and now it started to reverse and people are back at work so to speak but now we have this idea of quiet quitting making a making a a, a larger appearance yes, and the, the quiet
0: return the uh, quiet return and, and yeah. now we have the quiet return of a whole generation of baby boomers that are Quietly returning to the workforce.
1: Well, the stock market continues, um, continues to be this volatile. Um, people are afraid.
0: Right? Oh, it's always been so steady. <laughs> well, I, that's full <laughs> irony, right? I mean, it's
1: not, uh, um, you know, the stock market's three times, three times what it was not so long ago, but we are hanging on every dollar that moves in that, every point that moves in that stock market right now. People are watching their retirements and, and doing those things. The, um, yeah. So I, I think that's a really interesting thought that the idea that the boomers are quietly returning. The to quiet work.
0: return. I just, I really, I'm enjoying all the different labels. Or you know, <laughs> we, we've got some really great stuff going on here. When you look at it from everything, from the Great Resignation to the quiet quitting, and you know, and now the quiet return, and everything else that that's popping up around us.
1: Yeah. You know, I think this image of the American executive, right, I mean, which comes through all of our kind of cultural, um, you know, from the Oh,
0: right. What was the, uh, the uh, television reference? Yeah. The series that won the Emmy for Best Drama Series.
1: This, this year? Yeah. I don't know the answer Do to you that question.
0: Succession, wasn't it? Yeah, it's oh. a business. It's a business focused family. I mean, it's yeah. family entertainment.
1: Yeah, trying to. Well, it's I'm not still, Disney for sure. No, it's definitely not Disney. It's more like Godfather esque. Just saying. Um, but yeah, this idea that the things that your parents did, you just do right. I mean, there's just a there's a cultural message of you just go to work, and and you come home, and there's separation. And I know the conversation in my household is that. I mean, I don't even know how to gain separation from work. I don't. I don't think there's a release from it, frankly. Um, which makes me extremely nervous. Um, mm-hmm. right. I mean, what everybody says is, "Well, just don't think about it." Right. I mean, it's kind of like telling an addict, "Well, just don't think about it." Like, whether it's an addiction or not, I got to tell you, I think there's something really close there, but um, I can't find that separation. It's not. I go nine to five and it's over, and it's done.
0: Context, culture. Our social culture, our business society has shifted and changed around us as well, and it will continue to do so. We're part of it. And so with technology and everything else, we we pretty much are all familiar with the storyline that technology has allowed us to connect to our work 24-7 if we choose to. And I think when, when don't think about it, I think that's, I don't think I think, is a, is about the uh, the idea that you change your behavior, um, because at the end of the day, there it is. And if I change the behavior, then I look at myself to I shift my own experience, and then I, th- you know, I have an emotional component element to that that influences how I think and behave in the future, and what confidence I have to make those choices. So then we're and we've talked on this podcast several times around the power of choice and how do we. How do we create choice? And I think that's really important uh, when you think about culture, that we realize that it is a choice. You know, if you don't do it, it will do you. Absolutely. Yeah. We have a choice of what our bus looks like, that we invite people to sit on the right seats in, right? I mean, yeah. we, we, we can choose that.
1: Yeah, I don't, that's a puzzle. I mean, I think that's the that's the reason I don't disconnect. I mean, I think it is kind of a wonderful, uh, awe-inspiring uh Puzzle, wicked problem whatever you think it is I mean I think culture really is a wicked problem that um, is constantly moving and, and and shape-shifting right before our eyes and so we never get to it hey Jim I want to ask you a question in the new business you've you've brought in you know your first couple employees and as we're having this conversation about culture you have a very you know, different perspective than a larger organization, because you have, you know, you and your cousin as co-founders, cousin, Yep. you and your cousin as co-founders, and then you bring in new people, right? And we, and we talked about uh, some of the things you were doing, but, you know, as, as Edgar and I are having this conversation, anything stick out to you about, you know, huh, when I bring somebody new in, how have we thought now about what we're doing collectively, because we have a new addition? I mean, you go from two to three, two to four. I mean, that's a, You've multiplied by two if you get to four, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, we've we've definitely changed a lot. Um, you know, we've grown quite a bit on uh, onboarding processes, uh, but we still have a few that keep our culture like kind of solidified, which is every new employee gets a scooter. Gotcha. So we make sure to buy them a scooter first and then we, uh, we take them down there to buy the scooter because we want to have fun at the shop. Like, you know, obviously we don't want you to be dangerous on the scooter, but yeah. We still want everyone to have fun, and um,
0: do you buy everyone a helmet too?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the grandfather in me. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. No, we've talked about this multiple times. It's like, and does uh, everybody get
0: the nickname Scooter then?
2: Basically. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, it's we have a lot of cross training that because we want everybody to know what everybody does at the same job. Yeah. So it's like, hey, you may be in the paint department or the finishing department, but we also want you to know. <laughs> what's going on in the other departments. Yeah.
1: You know, as we talk about the culture, the customer experience, we talk about this idea of how you attract customers and then how you onboard them and then into the adoption, you know, and this is the, um, and Jim, the buying of scooters, right? I mean, is that, that is that, that's kind of your onboarding. You've already attracted them and now you're onboarding them and leaning into adoption where you get them to kind of fall in love. Um, You know, and that's how we do it for the customer, but we can do that for our employees too.
0: Yeah, the, the employee experience, the EX, and come at it the same way. How do we, on tra- how do we track on board? What does adoption or the experience look like? And then if we create alignments in that, then we can move to a place of better understanding, the retention and expansion piece of it. And these are all – When it's really interesting. There was just um, something that uh, occurred to me was a, a piece that I saw. It could have been the Post or the Times. Um uh publishing a piece about the employees, the customer. That we ought to be thinking more in this world. We should be thinking here's the thing about it, that's a messaging from three decades ago that was already there. Now and it's still there, which either says one of two things to me. One is that we haven't done a good job of thinking that way, of how do we actually strategically look at that. Um and it the other the other piece of it is that we're st- it's still not consciousness, so then it counts, then it matters. If we're still thinking, talking about it, perhaps we haven't done a good enough job with it. The thing it's still there, which kind of reminds us how real it is.
1: Yeah, I you know this brings in a little Jim Collins, good to great kind of conversation. The idea that if you take care of your employees, they'll take care of your business. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't exactly know how i feel about that i know one of the conversations that comes up quickly when you're down that pathway is the idea that you know the purpose of your business is really to employ your employees and 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 honestly i mean i think this In is service a service to what the, well this is a challenge for me right because i think the the purpose of your business is to deliver that solution for a problem for your customers right to deliver that human emotion for your customers and I, and when you get focused just on the idea that I'm keeping people employed, I mean I think this is this is the struggle for me in culture. I mean I'm I you know I'm working in an organization. And I realize now that um, we're all getting older. We're all getting older. We haven't done a good job of bringing people in that are younger. And so something's going to hit the wall fairly soon.
0: It, I yeah I think it's probably already hit the wall. And it's resonating. Uh, sometimes what happens is something, um, something occurs or happens, and it takes takes us a while for the ripple of the resonance to to get our attention. I, I think it's already. I think it's already happened. I yeah. think it's that. Uh, and all, I, I I think with all um, empathy to business leaders, uh, with empathy, I would say this is that. Um, there's just a level of not paying enough attention to it out there, and that has always been the case.
2: Yeah. I, I Yeah. I think it's the the trades have hit that wall, you know, quite a bit. Yeah. A lot of the old it's uh, a good uh, point. It's the
0: hospitality industry. Yeah,
2: the journeymen are starting to retire, and there's not enough newcomers. So I know they had to make a big shift in their, you know, onboarding and training and even yeah. schooling, like, so to make I'd, sure –
1: one of, the, one of the things that I in, in, do enjoy in my life is, um, is uh, Saturday morning, we watch religiously uh, This Old House. And, uh, you know, it's one of my favorite home improvement shows because they, they teach you to, right? I mean, and I don't know how many years, 40 years, they've been doing that in This Old House out of Boston originally. But um, they've been going through and they have a project that is bringing these young tradespeople in. And they've become part of the show over the last few years, um, as they've done different uh, remodels to be able to um, showcase how people are getting encouraged by the trades and in learning the different trades, and then what they can do with it. Um, and you know, it's been pretty pretty amazing. Um, there's a little bit of you know, uh, speaking of culture, cultural strife in our world about um, you know how do we value these trades the same way we value perhaps somebody that, that pursues a university-style education, right? There's a have-have-not conversation that's always in here um, when you bring up the trades. But, you know, I, I, I think this idea of how do you get excited about this stuff, I think you get excited about what you're exposed to. It goes back to this kind of modeling conversation you were having earlier, Edgar, about your leadership. And, and you know, I see in, in all of the – a lot of the conversations I'm having with people – is that in their work experience, what they feel like is somehow their manager, their leader gets to explore all these new ideas and hand them down.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so there's a disconnect with what they're being asked to do because, I mean, I, listen, I have, I have a gentleman that works for me, and we haven't had a chance to have this conversation, but here's what I know. I'm asking him to do different things than, he, than he's done in the past and and you often say that part of part of the depth of true alignment is that you get to choose what to do and you get to choose what not to do mm-hmm. but that part i mean i it's almost it's not even a colon and you get to choose it it's almost like a in in half the size font <laughs> we forget about we forget about that part is and choose what not to do and and really what i'm hoping this fall when he and i sit down for kind of his his review we're really going to say what are all the things you're doing and how do we not have you do some of those things
0: yeah
1: um but that is really not that's not a commonality for most people's experience people don't say you know you've always done x now i need you to do x minus one so that it equals more um right? I mean, and that, that math is actually really simple, but it's difficult to enact. All of this culture stuff is so difficult to enact because it, I think it's a practice. You have to continually come back to it, but, you know, the leadership needs to help people into the conversation about the design of the work experience so that they are tied to that customer experience so deeply and directly, and the leaders can learn about what's happening in the culture to figure out whether or not it's aligned.
0: Right, and if it's a misalignment, uh, to change it, which uh, the first step typically to changing like our own behavior, to make room for new behaviors, get rid of an old one, or figure out which, which get in the way. Um, in the, uh, the Learning to Lead program here, in, uh, here at Regis, um, the, uh, the first step is the self-knowledge piece, which is a deconstruction, reconstruction kind of approach to life design. Yeah. So, and taking an inventory of what am I spending my time doing? What, am, what are my activities? And what am, I, what am I good at? And What do I want to keep? What works for me? Um, and uh, what, what else do I see myself wanting to do? And what do I add to it? And to really make room for that and do those well is the uh, third uh, part of the exercise, which is what do I need to stop doing? As a matter of fact, I think that, and if it's simple, if you're listening – is get a piece get a piece of paper, uh, start journaling, or get a piece of paper and just make three columns, right? Yeah, uh, keep doing, start doing, and stop doing. Yeah, and uh, mm. the f- it's much like uh, cleaning out your, your your closet every once in a while, and you look at some of the uh, shirts that you're hanging onto that you haven't worn in a year and a half. It might be time to stop taking closet space with those. So it's different.
1: It's different than the Marie Kondo conversation, though right because i you know that idea of you know you get rid of the things that don't bring you joy right um be careful be careful mixing these two conversations here because that three column of the start stop continue um is yeah. different than the what brings you joy and what doesn't bring you joy some things we need to do um in our roles right whether they bring joy or not.
0: Yeah, and all the coaching relation and all the coaching relationships we have with executives that we work with begin with what's your definition of success. Yeah, uh, right In the short and longer term, uh, I mean it goes beyond that. We talk about legacy and and uh, you know realizing that death never has the final word. so that you, you lean into that and you say, okay, what is what is what does success really look like? And the same thing, you apply as a leader to culture, which is what does success look like? And what does alignment look like? And the same basic principles, uh, much like when we do great strategic work with organizations. Those, those are the big questions. Yep.
1: I think we're getting, uh, you and I have a really kind of uh, a very cool experience going on with, with some of the folks we're working with yeah. uh, because we're, we're um, drilling down into the organization um, in the slightly lower levels of leaders. And now we can see we can see connections and disconnections yeah in in those conversations i mean it is almost uh um voyeuristic sounds uh, you know devalues what we're doing but but you really the observational role the observational role i mean i think it's just so so really intriguing to me to watch some of these things um and not i, I mean our role is never to step in and say you should do x it's really to ask the questions.
0: Right. And I think that's, that's part of it, what leaders ought to be doing is looking down through the organization, having those kinds of conversations and not always just saying, well, here's what you ought to be doing, rather asking and inquiring and asking the questions of people to solve their own problems and to help them to do that, to, to ask inquiring questions. What are what's, what, what's the real problem here that needs to be solved? Let's do some ideation. Let's, let's take a look at what the possibilities are. All too often, we restrict possibilities by, by instructing and directing people, and we limit their possibility thinking. And then we wonder, well, well they can't solve problems on their own. they have never really been asked to or taught how to do that. Keep in mind, the number one barrier we know to, uh, to innovation in organizations is a lack of problem-solving skill and process. And sometimes, uh, and just having a, a process for problem-solving is a good indicator of how the culture works. Because in there, therein you, you begin to take a look at um, how people listen to each other, how they communicate with one another, how they manage conflict, how they, how they are able to uh, uh, manage goal setting with one another. These are all, these are all elements of what we look for in a really good, healthy culture, and how they work is important.
1: Is there a gap in in culture, Edgar? Because we have moved with all of the onset of so much available data, we've moved. Um, more towards a what conversation versus a a why conversation.
0: I, I, it's a it's been for at least as far as I can tell, it's been evolving and has been a. Uh, I I think we're getting to the point of understanding the importance of you know the, the who right. We begin with the customer and then who in or, you know in an organizational context, and culture, and then the what we're trying to achieve, the why, the emotional driver, and then the how. And and in our work, what we discover is the real sticky part that very often is the most problematic when it comes to communication, conflict planning, goal setting, decision making, all of it is the how, the how is the culture. The how is the interpretation and the understanding and the alignment of culture.
1: Yeah. I had a fantastic conversation on Friday night after our reception with one of the gentlemen from, from that class of 72, and it was a really, really wonderful story. Um, you know, his best friend uh, went on to be a Rhodes Scholar, and uh, he shared with me, you know, and now we're, you know, we're 54 years in hindsight he had applied to all of these different colleges, and he had put something different down for each of the colleges, thinking that that would be more attractive to the college to accept like, him.
0: Like good resume writing.
1: <laughs> like good <Taylor>. resume writing. <laughs> and so he, um, you know, when he, he got accepted here, this was not his first choice. Um, he wanted to be kind of in the, in the world of diplomacy, and so he had applied with this kind of global uh, diplomacy at Georgetown.
0: Yeah, I was going to think, I, I went right away to Georgetown.
1: Right, I mean, and, and he got in, but just couldn't afford it. And he, for his resume here at Regis, he put on engineering, which is, uh, you know, just for the folks at home, we don't offer an engineering degree right. here at Regis. We, we have a partnership with WashU, and we send folks in a 3-2 program or 2-3 program to Washington University in St. Louis to do an engineering degree. But he got here, and they were, you know, saying, well, here's the courses you need to take. And he's like, you know, I really don't want to be an engineer. I just put that down. I just put that down and And you know there was a little roboticism about what do we do with that because we accepted you based on this <laughs> and 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 you know this how we act in that in that situation is just so the how is closer to the why than it is to the what mm-hmm. and i you know I would leave that there as a reminder the how we do our work is more closely related to the
0: why and if you look at it through the lens of the five theory based being. Providing the basic and the and the uh, jumping off point, the springboard for that, yeah, because the how is all about human emotion, human connection, interaction, fulfillment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I I'm wondering if this is your experience. This is some of my experience in, in doing this work with you, Edgar. Is that you know as we introduce that customer experience and and people get to choose you know organizations get to identify the one that they're aimed at most clearly how many folks miss how many folks miss there do they pick one because you know
0: well again much like culture we our personal preferences show up in what we think what things ought to be like and yes again people walk into the they come into the room with two things they're they're definitions of success based on past experience and beliefs about themselves and their self-concept, and the other one is um, how they naturally advocate based on their own emotional needs, which I think is just um, when a group and a team come to understand that, how powerful that is in the moment, the aha is always there. It's one of those never fail. It's kind of like, wow, that's that's why we think strategically the way we do Uh, We can, very often people will tie it to their, to their personalities. We have the conversation about the team makeup of personality. Uh, Very seldom do I think they take it to the point of understanding how that correlates directly to how they think about strategy and how easily misaligned they can get strategically without even being conscious of it until it happens, of course, but, and they're not conscious of their own behavior influence on that, on that system. It's, uh, it's, at times, uh, it's breathtaking to me how powerful that is. So uh, we're running out of time, Ken.
1: Definitely, yeah.
0: So a couple of things for you, is uh, we're having this conversation about culture and traits and characteristics, and we do have a framework for that. Part of the True Alignment framework is 15 identified traits and characteristics of culture that we use, and um, it's not an engagement survey, it's a strategic look at how does your culture function, and uh, we're going to make that available October first on the True Alignment um, website. So on True, on the True Alignment website, you'll you'll find a, uh, um, a tab that you can uh, use to gain to gain access to it. And the only thing you'll need to do, of course, is is register to get it. Um, and the other one is to recognize that it'll become part of the data that we use in our research.
1: Yeah, and, and that's based on the innovation by design research and the identification of those culture keys.
0: Yeah, true alignment and integrated with the uh, innovation by design uh, research findings.
1: Yep. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah, so I encourage you and everyone that you know to to engage. In, in, and if anything, just looking at the questions themselves are going to give you insight into some of the different aspects and characteristics. So, yeah, please go ahead and take part of it again. That'll be up and running on October 1st for you.
1: Thanks for joining us here on uh, True Alignment this morning. I'm Ken Sagendorf.
0: I'm Edgar Papke. Yeah, thanks a lot. We'll see you next time around. And, of course, in the meantime, reach out to us if you need anything, info at truealignment.com. And what is that expression? So you be in touch and we'll be in touch.
1: (laughs) There you go. Thanks, Edgar.
0: Thanks very much. See you next time around.